Welcome to the Innovation Today podcast, where we speak with today's technology leaders about how they're innovating to stay ahead of changing industry dynamics and reaching new levels of productivity and automation. Brought to you by ServiceNow, your partner in digital transformation. Thank you for joining us today for another episode of the Innovation Today podcast. I'm your host, Spencer B. Miller, a field innovation officer here at ServiceNow. And today we're excited to welcome James Patton, Managing Director at KPMG. Welcome, James. Yeah, uh, thanks for inviting me on the show here. And it's it's always good to be speaking with you, Spencer. Likewise, likewise. Yeah, we just caught up a little bit prior and realized that we have met maybe once or twice prior in the ServiceNow ethers, perhaps a, a knowledge event or two. That's right. Good to see you, good to see your face again. Yeah, good. you too. Now today we're 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 jumping into the topic of ESG and a little bit more specifics on how to make ESG actionable. So I think James, you've you've kind of expanded your career into having a little bit around or maybe a little bit more focus on ESG over the past few years. Can you tell us a little bit about why why it's been important to you or or what what that adjustment was or what that expansion of your career brought you into that realm? Yeah, definitely. So. Uh... First, like you mentioned, uh, I'm managing director at KPMG. Um, you know, I've been working in this in the management consulting space for um, for about 18 years now. Um, uh, sorry to say, um, for you know my own longevity. Um, but yeah, advising clients across um, the you know the U.S., the U.K., Europe, um, and most of my career um, has been focused on really leveraging enterprise technology to to drive. Uh, process automation in the risk management space, and um, you know, last year I took on the role of ESG risk and risk and compliance technology leader here at KPMG, and my team has been really focused on on what we call like the G over ESG, um, which is about kind of using existing risk frameworks and technologies to to build trust around. Uh, ESG data and programs. So, you know, you, you kind of mentioned a little bit of an evolution, uh, you know, in my career arc, and I think it's it's really, you know, been about linking the concept of of risk, risk management and governance into the into the ESG space. Yes, and that's actually maybe a good place to start because I I think where ESG can feel a little ethereal or perhaps slightly obtuse is. Uh, you know, setting these large milestones of a trajectory of where the company is looking to go, but maybe not feeling like it's as actionable to to understand what the lay of the land is currently. So given your background in risk and realizing that ServiceNow actually can provide a fair amount of visibility into already existing compliance that you're already tracking on the platform, maybe maybe it makes sense to start there and just kind of help the listeners here uh, you know, find a find a way to understand the lay of the land as it is, perhaps through that G component. Is that how you typically think about this with with customers? Yeah, I mean, um, I really love like the, you know, what we're what we're trying to talk about here is you know how to be actionable, right? Yeah, be actionable with with ESG, and there's a little bit of um, like the why as well, like why, like why to be actionable and why is this important. Um, and I think maybe just, I'll say a few things here and then maybe, you know, kind of get your reaction too. But beyond just saying like, 
governance and, and G over ESG. Um, something that we we talk a lot about businesses having is trust and, and being trusted, right, by their stakeholders, uh, by their employees, by their customers. Um, and, you know, whether it's, you know, security, right, like cybersecurity, privacy, um, making sure we're following rules and regulations, uh, or, or showing, in, in this case, in the case of ESG, showing your impact in the community or proving that you're, um, you're, you have sustainability in your products or that your products are sustainable. The need for trust is, is everywhere, right? And, you know, for us, ESG falls very much under this umbrella of the trusted imperative that organizations are striving for. Um, and again, you know, my team, my role helps our clients understand where and how ESG and risk management kind of intersect and, and how technology can, can enable this, these, this union of kind of these new trusted topics. You know, the other thing that I might add is there's obvious kind of like developments in the marketplace in terms of you know, needing to be actionable, right. In terms of the rigor and, um, the rigor and scrutiny that's going to start coming around ESG data. Um, I'm sure we're going to we're going to dive into this a little bit more later, but um, we're expecting the SNC, you know, final ruling to come out on climate disclosures this spring. This the CSRD, the the Corporate uh, Sustainability Reporting Directive, was just adopted by the European Parliament uh, last fall, so late last fall. Um, so a lot of what's been happening in the space up to now has been like voluntary, right? It's businesses and corporations trying to present, uh, present themselves on the ESG front from a voluntary perspective. We're aligning to these voluntary frameworks, but I think these regulations are becoming like the forcing function, if you will, that's really putting the need for governance, um, at the top of the to-do list uh, in, in this space, right? So the easiest way to think about that is kind of identifying the, the processes to collect all this information and then figuring out what are the risks and the controls that are going to help safeguard and, and put trust in that data that's that's being reported. Yeah, and just a, a reaction on that, I, th I think is maybe getting to the mindset of being an ESG-minded organization at the foundation level before these regulations come into play, right? So establishing the practice of having a, you know, something as simple as a dashboard where you can check on how you're tracking against your ESG goals on a, on a you know, on a live basis, rather than it be this almost reactionary effect of, uh-oh, we know the SEC is coming, or we know these regulations are coming towards us, and we have to, at some point, we're going to have to figure it out. But it, it makes more sense to at least maybe start that now rather than it just be this afterthought of uh, these, these things are going to eventually get pushed on us. So if we can establish that practice early on, the better off we're going to be when you know CSRD comes into play or the SEC starts putting stuff into the, into the U.S. realms. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think what you're, what you're speaking to is maybe the easiest way to say it is like, you know, it's, it's, what is your, what is your strategy on this front? But, and where most companies have already started is, you know, undertaking their materiality assessments and kind of identifying their, their key material topics. 
Um, and there's been kind of like a race to, okay, we understand what those are. Now we need to like measure that and, and report off of it. Mm-hmm. And so I liked what you said there about, you know, it's, it's kind of starting with the end in, in mind a little bit more where it, you know, once you've established what those topics are, we're not, you know, we're not just racing to measure them, but we need to be thinking about the programs that we need to undertake and implement to actually show progress against those topics, right? That we're trending in the right direction. And that, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to do that after the fact. You want to do that up front. Yeah. Now, now, when you talk to to leaders at some of the organizations that you consult with on this, where where do you get them to start that programmatic approach where they can kind of make it feel like it's a, a bit more actionable, or so the, so they can start to to embed it in in their you know everyday ideally everyday practices, but maybe weekly, monthly practices as as part of their review with their leadership. How can they think about these these more programmatic approaches to this big topic of ESG? Yeah, um, so there, there's it's it's definitely worth saying that there's an operating model right that is coming together around the concept of you know ESG full stop in organizations, and that operating model is not completely. Right. There's no one size fits all. It's not like you you must have this role or you must have that role. So it's it's for for sure um kind of a moving, evolving um setup at the moment. So where the where the strategy, where the initiatives are kind of being born is is really just depends on on how, you know, the concept of ESG kind of takes flight organically at a company. Either way, um Something I know we, you know, we wanted to talk about here was this, the idea of, you know, embedded sustainability, right? Across the organization. And so no matter what your operating model kind of looks like, um, you know, interestingly, most businesses kind of have this idea of a, of a front, middle and back office. And, and that's, you know, moving away from like the, the measure, just the measure to report. Um, being actionable is is about kind of embedding sustainability um, across the organization. Um, coming from a bit more of a risk background, you know, we have this saying that you know it's not uh, you know it's not it's not just risk that that owns risk, right? Like everyone owns risk, and it's it's kind of the kind of the same thing for for ESG and sustainability, right? Like everyone, everyone's going to own that in the organization. And that, that really means kind of getting, again, regardless of your operating model, it's, it's driving the ownership out, out and beyond from just like this, you know, the, the, the uh, sustainability office or the compliance office and moving it right into and across the front, middle and back office, you know, front office, um, you know, when you think about the front lines or the front office in terms of customer or client engagement, um, it's it's thinking about how your customers are kind of interacting with your products. Like what what is the packaging? What is the materials that they're getting those products in, right? And if they're looking at those things or like, oh, is this like, 
I wonder, you know, how sustainable this is. Where did this come from? Like that customer experience with your product from a sustainability lens is, you know, is a, is a piece of this, right? Totally. Or flip to the back office, right? Where you're, um, you know, you're maybe away from the customer, so to speak, but you're thinking about managing like your, your transition to renewable energy and your buildings and your facilities, like your transportation fleets, right? A lot of businesses are already kind of down this path, right? In terms of embedded sustainability, I think we have to, it's important to acknowledge that a lot of businesses are already doing these things. I think the catch is that a lot of it is happening in pockets, right? Just like we, like we see in many, many, uh, functions across organizations, things, uh, happen in silos, right? So as the requirements kind of increase to be able to disclose or report around all this activity, um, you know, it's important that all these things kind of hang together in a coordinated manner. And, you know, you mentioned, and, and I like to talk about some of the technology that helps enable this coordination and orchestration of all these activities. And so, you know, again, regardless of the operating model or where these things are owned in the organization, I think there's, there's a, there's a need and a place to, to have it hang together. And, you know, there's a lot that companies can use like internally, like the existing tools and frameworks to keep this together. But there's also a lot of interesting solutions in the market that are um, coming to the forefront that are addressing this need specifically. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an important point is it, we, we realize that these things are, are, are already taking place and different business units, different parts of the organization, different maybe middle offices are tracking them perhaps in their own unique ways or leveraging their own unique um, software metrics or processes around it. And I think that's, for now, that's okay, right? It, and and where I still, like, I start to see this evolution occurring, or I think where this evolution can occur is having it at least be, uh, having at least tentacles into those environments where we can pull that information in into a consolidated area where we can start to envision where we're, where we're actually initially tracking those goals pulling those metrics from those different silos into one spot so we can understand how we're tracking against them and then continually tying that in back to the G portion of how we're meeting those compliance regulations and how we're meeting our control tests that either we're internally putting on ourselves or eventually externally going to be put on us. So I, I think it's all right to have these silos right now. I mean, it's just kind of the nature of the beast of how large organizations tend to happen. But at least having a plan where we can begin to consolidate that information from a dashboarding point of view and then an executable point of view on tasking this stuff out to uh, get us get us get us trending in, into the direction of our milestones. All right. So I think it's also important to note that you and I chatted briefly on prior to this is this notion of fin- final mile reporting. So can you talk a little bit about how? how companies might think about final mile reporting or, or where they, where they start to gather that data. For sure. So also, you know, let's talk about like what final mile reporting is for, for a second, because I think it means kind of different things to, to different people sometimes, but, but maybe self-explanatory in the same breath, but you know, final mile reporting is really internal, could be 
any one of a number of things, but internal management reporting, right? Or board, board type reporting internally. Um, it's also external, um, external reporting in terms of sustainability reports, whether that might be a corporate sustainability report or like a voluntary, a voluntary report, like a TCFD report or a regulated report, like a, like an annual report or something like a 10K filing. So all these things kind of make up the final mile reporting, uh, buckets, if you will. And, you know, just to say that obviously like there's, there's options out there in terms of how you can achieve the final mile, uh, reporting, um, you know, whether it's, you know, popular BI analytic solutions or purpose bill solutions that are, are addressing like 10 K or 10 Q filing specifically, like there there's options, right? Um, something that, you know, I was really excited to learn about was you know, just to make another example of ServiceNow's new integration with, you know, popular, um, office, office products. If I, if I can say that, um, you know, knowing that there's now like this direct plugin of ServiceNow ESG data, for example, right in like a word document, um, you know, that seems like it's you know going to be a you know a really handy uh, feature for teams that are reporting either internally or externally, right? Because those are that's a that's a common end reporting solution, and and having you know that clickable kind of plugin right there in that document, straight to source data that's like populating tables, uh, data tables, or you know tables that are populating charts and graphs. Um, pretty excited about that and, you know, realize that that's, you know, just a little, you know, another little, uh, arrow in the quiver, so to speak of you know, some of the service now capabilities. Yeah. I, I, I love that one. I mean, whether, whether we like it or not, a lot of us are still, well, it's still working in the office suite to do our jobs, right? Whether that's in a, whether that's an Excel or, or Word document. So anything that we can do from a document intelligence standpoint to pull that out into something that we can drive workflow around or drive reporting around or drive metrics around or drive ownership around, I think the better. So that's a good, that's a good call out there. I'm going to throw a, a little bit of a, a hard one at you here, but I, I feel like you, you got this one. So if I'm thinking about why, why now, uh, you know, this is a, a little bit of a, a temperamental time in at least the U S but I think globally we're, we're feeling the, the effects of inflation and we're feeling a little bit of it's definitely in tech we're feeling the tightening of the of the belt with budgets and what they're doing with their people so i, I gotta pose the question and you know take it in whatever context that you you feel comfortable in but why, why should companies care about esg when they're they're worried about these other things that that may be tightening up from a, a macroeconomic standpoint yeah and this is um you know, a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, businesses and organizations are, are asking themselves the same question. And we've, we've put out a little bit of, of thought leadership around, um, you know, this, this question and the, the question of timing and, you know, uncertainty in the market right now, for sure. Right. From a timing perspective, um, you know, this is, this is, you know, increasingly critical to get this right now. I'll, I'll say a couple things, right. So there's a ton of opportunity 
for value preservation, right? When you think of a you know brand reputation and you know go go back to the concept of trust, right? Irregardless of what's happening in the market, value preservation needs to be top of mind, right? Because it's you know value uh, erosion is you know it it happens in a second, right? Or it can happen in a second. So making sure that we stay in front of that as organizations, uh, you know, is, 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 is critical. Um, but also value creation, right? So when I say value creation, I'm thinking of things also like tax incentives, right? And tax credits, um, which can actually help fund, uh, initiatives and, and really accelerate gaining a competitive, a competitive advantage, uh, in the arena of, or under the umbrella of, you know, ESG and, and sustainability. So thinking about value preservation, value creation, even in a time like this, um, I think it's important that businesses are pausing or, or slowing down their efforts, you know, because they could risk negative outcomes actually. Right. So I was just talking about this a second ago, but diminished customer loyalty or a head to brand reputation, right? And ultimately leading to an impact uh, financial performance. So you can you can make, you know, the case kind of makes itself for continuing to keep this a, a priority and an area for investment. You know, I, I, I think just to keep this going a, a little bit for a second, you know, more on the like why now, um, building a building a state of the art ESG program and reporting on that program requires, you know, it requires a lot of things, advanced data collection, like you talked about, this is in many ways, kind of a big data problem. So being able to collect and harness that data using technology, having well-defined reporting infrastructure, having the right processes and controls and, and really just an underlying strategy for all this, like it's, it's not going to happen overnight, right? That's the other thing. So prioritizing this now, even in these somewhat uncertain, you know, economic times that we're in versus kind of pushing or delaying to later is going to help meet that stakeholder demand and that thirst for, for clarity. It's going to meet that demand now, as well as set, you know, companies up for what we hope to be accelerated growth when the economy strengthens, right? So we're planting those seeds now to be able to accelerate when the economy does strengthen. I think that's a, a pretty poignant point in, I mean, in times of tightening up, it's often best to, to think of a, a double down strategy on investing in ways that will differentiate yourselves from the lay of the land because competitors will start to pop up in, in these times. And if you're investing in the right places and you're, you have your end consumer in mind, which in, in our case, or just in general, I think a lot of the consumers are getting more ESG minded out there. It allows you to set yourself up for success in, in the future when ideally the economy starts to turn around. So I think that's pretty important there. Yeah. And, um, I, I would just add what we're at like this interesting juxtaposition, right? Because it, there's a lot of uncertainty, but if you look at like, uh, 
buying behaviors and consumer spending and all this stuff is pretty running at a pretty fast pace still. And, you know, I think you just touched on this, right? But KPMG has a lot of, you know, has conducted a lot of studies and research and surveys on consumer buying behavior. And it's clear that ESG factors and sustainability factors are increasingly influencing like buying, you know, buying behaviors. So regardless of, you know, the circumstances that we're in now, like there's still a lot of, there's still a lot of, um, consumer activity out in the market. And the data is telling us that ESG and sustainability is a really important part of that. So in terms of value creation, right, just kind of reinforcing the point that we're making, now is not the time to take our foot off the gas. Now, if I think about this in the consumer lens, which, you know, the the, the lay of the land out here may be business to business. We may have some B, B, B2C customers listening. But if I think about it, like two strong examples in my consumer world, if you think about the Apple experience of opening up that package, well, Apple went net neutral or I think actually completely did away with plastic on any of their uh, any of their devices that you buy from them. So it still has that lovely allure of what it's like to open up the Apple experience of whatever device that you buy, but completely no no plastic involved with it as of, I think it was probably a year or two now. And then it's the other big one out there is Amazon, right? So Amazon, of course, delivering all these devices or whatever, and delivering anything to our doorstep, they it used to have this pretty decent carbon footprint with the amounts of uh, stuff that went into their packaging. And you're seeing them even start to reduce it down into recyclable materials or having the option on as when, when you buy an Amazon product to be able to click and say, this thing actually doesn't need a container. You can just ship it as it is with a shipping label on it. And in, in that case, as a consumer standpoint, I mean, that makes me a lot more willing and wanting to buy from from these companies because they, they, they have the environment in mind. So I think I think you're right on that. I mean, it's the, the, the good companies out there are doing it proactively. And I think we can all maybe learn a lesson from from those from the big ones out there that are that have this top of mind. That that's right. And 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 it's keeping that going, right? And it's it's keeping uh pushing the envelope in that regard. Um again, because despite what we're seeing out there in terms of uncertainty, there's still um you know, there's still a a lot of activity in terms of transactions in the market. So it's important that companies, you know, stay leaned, lean forward and leaned in. Lean forward and leaned in. I like that. <laughs> All right. Well, we're we're running up almost on our time here, and it's been quite a pleasure chatting with you so far, James. I, I hope we can maybe do a, a round two of this at some point. But I, I usually like to round out these ESG conversations, or even just in general, these innovation podcasts with. Where to now? So what are, what are some key trends that maybe listeners out there should be following or look into this space for the future? And then maybe a, a sentence or two on where you would personally be ecstatic about, ecstatic about ESG rolling into perhaps our everyday lives in our, in our professional worlds as well in a five-year time frame. Um, I, I think just some, some trends. I'll, I'll hit you with a couple of things. So something that's pretty interesting. Everyone, I think, is by now kind of aware of where the SEC is going with uh, the climate rules. So, you know, again, everyone's kind of waiting for that to land in, in the spring. But there's there's also like 
the next thing that's going to happen after the climate proposal is a proposal on human capital disclosure and disclosure requirements. So that's something to keep an eye on. And, um, because that's, I mean, again, that's not going to be a quick, that's not going to be a quick thing. Um, we expect that to be drawn out as well, but just it's, it's interesting the level of rigor around these disclosures that are, that are kind of coming through. It's going to be heavily debated, but the trend messages, there's actually more, not less, right? The next thing coming is, is human capital. There's likely to be something thereafter. Um, on the idea of, of of social equity, you know, diversity, inclusion. So that's something to keep an eye on. Um, we didn't we didn't talk about this a lot today, but another I, I think a space that you're just going to continue to see more of is sustainability in the supply chain and in the value chain. Right now, it's you know, there's a big focus on kind of scope one, scope two of what's in. The organization's kind of control, so to speak, with an eye on kind of what's happening in the supply chain, but using using estimates. And I think that's going to get a lot more granular, and there's going to be a lot bigger focus on businesses influencing the sustainability of their value chain. You're going to see that uh, a, a lot more coming up. Hmm. So almost making buying decisions based on who is the more sustainable source to from a, a, a BDB contract. Yep, exactly. I mean, it's yeah, interesting. Yo, you, you're you know, again, these are new new buzzwords or anything, but responsible procurement, supplier sustainability. These are kind of well known domains at this point, but I think they're still nascent in where they're at from a approach methodology perspective, and I, I think we're going to see a lot more. Uh, on that coming up. Um, and then you, you just kind of asked about, you know, personally, you know, what, what would I like to see in, in five years time? And this is, you know, kind of a, you know, a fun way to wrap up the, the session, but I look, I'd say, um, I'm a big fan of, of driving manual transmission vehicles and driving stick shift. Oh, me too. <laughs> nice. You know, I just, it's a really obviously engaging experience. It's something that, um, I still get excited about, but at the same time, I'm, I'm really excited to witness and kind of be part of the march to the electric, you know, electrification of transportation. And, you know, we all just kind of think about cars, but when I'm out there on the road, I'm also, I'm often just like looking at all the trucks, right? All the trucks that are on the highway. And I'm just thinking to myself, I can't wait for all these things to be electric also because they'll and hopefully autonomous and maybe they'll be they'll be safer and more environmentally friendly and i think we might start to see that with with air transit as well at least on the freight like air air freight if you will and you mentioned some of the big the big online retailers um i think we're going to be we're going to be seeing that in the next five years i'm pretty excited about that as well yeah, I love that. I don't know what us stick shift drivers will do, but maybe we'll just have to take our cars to the tr- figure out ways to drive on the track or something. If it, if this electrical vehicle or when this electric vehicle thing really takes full fledged, I just uh, I I I'm still holding holding out for the fact that they're going to figure out how to still have a manual transmission uh, for electric vehicles. It doesn't really work from an engineering perspective, but they could they you know it's like when they make. Uh, you know, the big motor sounds that come out of the EVs, it's just for, <laughs> just for show, right? 
they could yeah they could maybe do something like that totally oh man that'd be fun <laughs> well james thanks so much again for your insight your clear depth of knowledge in the topic it's been a blast talking with you and hey i look forward to potentially seeing you at the knowledge event this year since that's where yeah definitely <laughs> definitely uh, i hope to see you there we'll be there and um good 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 chat with you again spencer Awesome. Well, thanks, James. And thanks, everybody out there for tuning in for Innovation Today. We can't wait to talk to you on the next one. See ya.